0: Welcome to the Formed in the Word podcast, a production of the Augustine Institute. Your hosts, Dr. Jim Prothrow and Dr. Israel McGrew, will review the lectionary readings for this Sunday's Mass, explain their
1: context, and help you to appreciate the Church's wisdom in selecting them. Welcome to Formed in the Word. I'm Israel McGrew. I'm James Prothrow. We are professors of sacred scripture at the Augustine Institute. Today we'll be looking at the lectionary readings for the fourth Sunday of Lent. We'll explain each reading in turn, their context and some of their main points, and draw out some of the continuity between the readings.
0: In her wisdom, the church has put the lectionary together to lead us into the mystery of Christ. So we want to reflect on all the readings together. Um, as the Old Testament foreshadows and points toward Christ uh, and how Christ fulfills not just the Old Testament scriptures, but uh, really the, the, the problem of human fallenness uh, and redeems us as it's presented in these readings.
1: Yeah. And we hope that this will be a valuable resource for everybody, um, that this will help you as you are preparing to go to Mass. And so hopefully you can actually watch this earlier in the week. That way you can really sit with these readings for a while. Um, that way you can ultimately receive the Eucharist um, more prayerfully. Mm -hmm. And we especially hope that this will be uh, useful for priests as they are preparing their homilies throughout the week in order to draw their congregation more deeply into the mystery of Christ.
0: Amen. Uh, Let's begin with a word of prayer, and we'll jump right into the readings. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. God be in my head and in my understanding. God be in my eyes and in my looking. God be in my mouth and in my speaking. God me in my heart and in my thinking. And may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight always, O oh Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Amen. And the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. She used that one last week. Lord our rock. It didn't occur to me last week. Yeah. I like the origin prayer last week.
1: All right. Well, this week we start with uh, 1 Samuel chapter 16, verses 1, 6 through 7, and 10 through 13a. And this is uh, as Dr. Prothera would like to point out, 16 comes after 15. Uh, 15 is after Saul has been rejected as king for the second time. Um, So it has been stamped. It's irrevocable at this point. It was always irrevocable, but that's another question about God's purpose working out in history. Anyhow, in chapter 16... Saul's not going to be king anymore. Although it's going to take a while to work. Anyhow, in chapter 16, (laughs) David gets anointed, or Samuel is sent to anoint David as king. And the first son that Samuel sees, because God doesn't tell him whom he's going to anoint, he sends him instead to the father of whom he's going to anoint. Mm -hmm. Because Samuel has to learn a lesson about what God finds is important. And in fact, this lesson uh, teaches uh, in a nutshell what the failed dynasty of Saul taught uh, over a longer mm. span, mm. because the first thing you find out about Saul is that he's tall, rich, and handsome, right? which is what we look for in a king. Right? This is why you people are obsessed so with the always what I look for British. In a king. Well, this is why you people are obsessed with the British monarchy, right? You, say, oh, you people. <laughs> 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 Anyhow, uh, so when Samuel sees Eliab, uh, David's oldest brother, he says, "Surely this is the Lord's anointed," and God says do not look on his stature or his appearance, right? And he's the firstborn, so he's going to inherit twice as much, right? So he's rich, he's tall, and he's good looking. Um, For the Lord looks at the heart. Mm -hmm. Because Saul had acted upon his heart and had been disobedient and had sought to be glorified um, in front of the elders of Israel instead of giving glory to God and obeying. And so David is a contrast with both Saul and Eliab. Eliab kind of offering a a chance and an opportunity in chapter 16 to draw out this contrast. Now, we know that David will mess up when he gets older. And so, David himself can't fulfill um, the necessity of what it takes to be the king of Judah, right? Mm -hmm. The king who mediates God's reign to humanity. Only the son of David, uh, Christ, can do that. But David in his youth operates as this very neat foil as someone who has faith, right? As someone who through music has uh, authority over evil spirits mm. and who in his faith um, is willing to fight Goliath, even though he's just a teenager, as opposed to Saul who's again, tall, strong, beautiful, handsome, uh, right? Head and shoulders above everyone else. If anyone can should fight a giant, it should be that guy. Mm. Um, David, ruddy, youth, but he trusts God. And so this is the contrast. And again, uh, we saw a couple weeks ago in the Psalm 51, that even as David is older, he still forms a contrast with Saul because whereas Saul makes excuses when confronted for his sin and is still attached to being glorified in front of the people, uh, David just confesses his sin. Mm -hmm, And in fact, mm -hmm. David uh, reflects very beautifully and profoundly on the profundity of his uh, sinful condition. Um, but this week's readings are more focused on the younger David and on his um, success mm-hmm. and how he uh, compares even more favorably with Saul.
0: Yeah, and I mean, uh, two things occur to me reading this. I mean, one of them, of course, is as you've been saying, like you could summarize this as sort of like what 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 kind of king do you want to have? What kind of king do you need? And I think, I think sometimes about this when I meditate on the third sorrowful mystery of Jesus crowning with thorns, mm-hmm. right? his kingship is manifested in his receiving suffering for the sake of his people instead of right being i can't I'm, it's not convincing when i try it you know I but try some it sort the other of way. like
1: <laughs> some sort
0: of you know like great handsome <laughs> something um but but uh uh in line with the readings uh today um, uh, we can think also about about um right how things look in the light of faith, right, in the light of God's revelation. Because Samuel goes, as you said, he's told, go to the house of Jesse, but he's not told who he's looking for. He's just told, you'll find a king there. Go, go get him, right? And so Samuel is is receptive, and he's waiting on the Lord to indicate to him which of the sons he should pick. Um, but he keeps getting disappointed. Go, well, what? why not that one? Are you sure? Not that one either? Not that one? Not that one? Um, and you find out that the, the the dad hasn't even brought David there for the son lineup. You know, um, uh, it's kind of the I mean, is that with a
1: sheep? He probably smells sheep, like sheep. Right? You don't want to have him in. <laughs> right.
0: But that's the kind of that's that's who our good shepherd is when he's crowned with thorns, right? And that's uh, who uh, uh, we'll talk about that in Psalm twenty three. Mm-hmm. Um, that's who David is supposed to be for the people, and he fails sometimes, but other times he does really well. Um, but in the light of faith and in the mystery of the cross, right? Sin gets exposed, and his repentance is a response to that, um, uh, which we'll be able to get to also in the reading from Ephesians uh, and from uh, John's Gospel as well.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, so we'll turn to Psalm 23, the probably the, I would say the most famous psalm. Um, so this is obviously the, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And again, these, like I said in the, in the last pericope, these passages are focused a little bit more on David in his youth, right? When he has not yet fallen so short of the ideals that he evokes. And being a shepherd, this is a metaphor for being king. This is throughout the ancient Near East. Um, Shepherd is responsible for the flock. He fights off things with his stick and he uh, tends to them to help them thrive. This is what kings are supposed to do. And this is also... What David literally did as a youth, this is where he was when Samuel went to anoint him. He was out with the sheep. And so the this, this psalm right, reflects David's early experience literally. And it reflects his experience as king, understanding his kingship in terms of being a shepherd. Right? When God is um, attacking Israel because of David's sin, he says, what have these sheep done? Right? And so the metaphor is always close to David. He understands his kingship in terms of this responsibility. Um, but in the psalm, it's also very clear that the Lord is David's shepherd. And so David is kind of confessing that to whatever degree he is king, and often he'll refer to himself not as king, but as like captain or leader or governor or something like that. Um, to whatever extent he is king and is responsible for the people, he's just human. And he is is reliant on God's um, care, provision, protection of him, right? So he's being cared for, intended. He's even guided to waters and to green pastures. And he's being defended from his enemies. And um, goodness and mercy are pursuing him. Mm -hmm. Um, This is how shepherds take care of him. And I I want to call attention to um, one particular dynamic that uh, in our ESV, for example, is kind of actually... The way it's laid out on the page we're distracted from it right the most famous verse maybe i don't know yea though i walk through the valley of the shadow of death i will fear no evil for thy rod and thy staff they comfort me um but if you look at the line before that it's he leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake and i think that these two lines are meant to be in parallel mm, right mm, mm. god is leading me in paths of righteousness right past where I can survive, past where I can be righteous, past where I can be in communion with the God of righteousness himself. Through Death's Valley. Even in the context of Death's Valley. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Right? Um, And so when you are, when you pray this psalm, you are, you know, evoking an ideal that hopefully you can also grow into that even in times of immense suffering and fear and pain, um, he leadeth me, right? Mm -hmm. This is Walter Shizek's book, um, With God in Russia, or he leadeth me, um, these two different versions of the same story, um, to recognize that God is with you in those sufferings. Mm -hmm. And ultimately in the incarnation in Christ's crucifixion, like he's quite literally with you in the Mm -hmm. shadow of death, Mm -hmm. um, such that now we never go through death without his accompaniment. um, And that even through sufferings and fear, that God is also leading you in the path of righteousness. Right, This is the way of salvation, the way of a communion with the God of righteousness.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and uh, also the responsiveness uh, and the trust in God and there in the second half of four. So three and four, he's leading me in paths of righteousness. He's leading me on the right path. He's going to protect me from my enemies. He's leading me on the right path through deep darkness. It's hard to see in deep darkness, in death's shadow. And it can be confusing and it can be scary. Um, He knows that God is leading him. And what are the uh, 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 things that he trusts in, right, as expressions of God's leading? Well, his rod and his staff. So shepherd David mentions this when he's going to fight Goliath, right? On the one hand, you've got uh, 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 weapons, right, by which a shepherd will have to defend the flock from enemies outside it, right, from lions or bears, oh my, right, uh, and various other things. Uh, but also, um, when you're a sheep and you're walking in a dark place, and the shepherd knows that if you step too far this way, you're gonna fall off the mountain, he's gonna whack you. Uh, or maybe just kind of... Or maybe just kind of right? nudge you light. It can be now, light. Sorry. if you're yeah. stubborn,
1: if you're stubborn, you're going to get whacked. That's right. Um, That's right. But you think of uh, Psalm 119, yeah. right? It's you know, 176 verses of a love song to the law. Right? Mm-hmm. You love the law because God is actually guiding you through this. And so it doesn't yeah. have to be a whack. It doesn't have Sometimes to Sometimes it's a whack. whack. Sometimes for yeah, me, it's no, a whack. Okay. I, yeah, um, yeah, But it's also that's right gentle. but whether whether
0: gentle as you respond or whether god has to kind of amplify it um or if right? god
1: has to smack you because you're the one attacking the sheep right, right. it's the same stick yeah that's it all right it depends on who you are
0: it's the same stick and it's still it's still um uh that that taking god's correction is the way to keep walking through mm-hmm. the shadow right trusting in him knowing that he's leading you in the right way even when it's dark and scary yeah um yeah yeah that's right yeah i like putting yeah three and four in parallel that's a really good mm-hmm. idea.
1: And I want to just point one more thing out. And this is true of you know, all of the Psalms that are attributed to David. Um, and it's true in a different sense to all of the Psalms. But it's particularly um, worth considering in, the, in this Psalm that David had you know, uh, a very special relationship with God. Um, and such that he prayed in this way. This is how he understood God. And through this, because it's in scripture, God is revealing to us how to understand God. Mm -hmm. And God is giving us the gift of relating to God the way that David related to God. Mm -hmm. And so while David's um, relationship with God was unique, uh, very special, kind of... um, There hadn't been anything like that before... um, now we're all given the gift of participating in David's intimacy with God.
0: Now yeah, we're in, sort of invited, invited to see things in the light of mm-hmm. David's own perspective, yeah. uh, for, because of the special relationship he has. Yeah, absolutely.
1: Well, you've worked in light a couple of times now, so you can turn. I'm just,
0: the- I'm just looking ahead. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's the beautiful thing about some of these readings is that they'll all. Right? They're all they're all Word of God and really meaningful on their own. But then also in the lectionary thing, how's how do all of these things fit together um, in the the sort of how do all the tastes that are so good fit together in the stew that is this Sunday's? That's not a good metaphor.
1: <laughs> Ephesians five. You would toss salad. Then is the flavors
0: is where... <laughs> 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 that is That works. I like stew better. Um, it's wintertime. I don't want a salad. I want a stew. I want it hot. Uh, we're in Ephesians five starting with verse 8 all the way up to verse 14. So Ephesians 5, 8 through 14 for this week. Um, And it's only so long, uh, so I'm going to read it. This comes in Paul's exhortation here in uh, Ephesians about living the new life. Um, And he's talked about uh, specific things. He's talked about, like, speech. He's talked about uh, uh, doing this and not doing this so that you can care for your neighbor, so that you can help one who's in need, uh, so that you can uh, uh, keep yourself... Uh, on the right path by following the guidance and the example uh, of the Lord Um, uh, and even imitating God at the very beginning of chapter 5. Be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love just the way that Christ did. And that's kind of what the whole thing is about. Um, But here in verses 8 through 14, uh, we especially move toward uh, the call not only to stay away from what is evil, because there are Real evils and even mortal sins. He mentioned some of them beforehand of not inheriting the kingdom of Christ uh, uh, because of some of them. Um, uh, so he says in verse six, Don't let anyone deceive you with empty words, right? There is still judgment and wrath coming. Um, don't and become partners that with The stick
1: evil. is still there. Yeah, they said the stick is still there. It's comforting. See, sometimes it is a smack. Comforting. <laughs> no, I, I agree. <laughs> I don't know why you have to jump straight to like, I'm getting whacked. Um, Guilty conscience, probably. Yeah, probably <laughs> so. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, uh,
0: so verse verse 7 really is the, the beginning of the sentence that verse 8 picks up. Therefore, don't become partners with evil, verse 8, for at one time you used to be darkness. Now you're light in the Lord. So walk as children of light, for the fruit of light is found in all that's good and right and true. So we've been called to walk forward, to leave behind the darkness of our own past or darkness right, that maybe we didn't have in our personal past, but you know, one that we want to keep avoiding, um, uh, darkness of sin or evil. And 10, says, try to discern what's pleasing to the Lord and don't take any part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. There's things that are shameful even to speak of, right? but anything that's exposed to the light becomes visible. So... Uh, and verse 14 uh, brings us to something that uh, many people think was probably part of an early baptism liturgy, right? and the association of baptism with enlightenment. You can see the catechism's section on this, uh, if you want to go farther, there's a whole section on baptism as enlightenment. It says, anything, that's, uh, anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore, it says, awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you.
1: Just to clarify, yeah. I mean... This is an early baptismal liturgies. You're saying, though, that Sorry. perhaps before Paul wrote Yeah, this. that's right. So, yeah, yeah okay. so make sure yeah, 5 wrong. verse
0: 14 is an early baptismal liturgies, and it's mm-hmm. in lots of great baptismal liturgies can be used uh, still. But some people think that um, Paul when is he says, therefore, one. it says, yeah. he's actually referring to a baptismal liturgy that's already in use yeah. in his own day. Um, that people didn't just okay. get it out of this verse that it was already being done. Yeah.
1: Thanks. Thanks for the clarification. It's kind of like the book of Revelation. Right? Yeah. <laughs> Liturgy pr- came before the, yeah, of the New right. Testament.
0: Um, but, but here the angle that we have on the light of God and the light of God's revelation um, is that uh, listening to God as to what's good and true and right there in verse 9 um, allows us to discern what's pleasing to God, right, so that we can right, walk the right path as he's leading us to it also is the way in which to oppose sin right so you avoid sin and when you have to encounter it right you fight darkness with light not mm-hmm. with more darkness yeah right? by exposing sin uh, elsewhere right you bring it to the light so that god's light can shine on it right and it can become uh, uh, repented forgiven and sanctified and when we light when we let god's when we light god's light when we let god's light also shine on us, right, in our examinations of conscience, when we're reading, when we're listening, uh, when we're interacting with somebody and we realize we have a moment of compunction, that we've done something wrong, that we're not walking well, our response ought to be like David's in those other stories, right, is to say, now light has shined on me and I will now walk in it and respond Mm -hmm. correctly, which is, if I've been in darkness, to repent.
1: Yeah. Yeah, there's a... A lot about this in uh, 1 John, right? Yes. In him there is no darkness. And uh, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and truth is not in us, mm. right? Mm. And with this uh, light and darkness imagery, I think one of the things that it really does is to correct what I think is a, a kind of very intuitive mistake mm. of how we think about salvation. On a level, I think most of us are kind of baseline is Egyptian, right? At death, your heart gets weighed. And if there's enough good stuff and always outweighs the bad stuff, maybe you go to heaven. This is kind of moralistic, therapeutic deism. And I think even within Christianity um, and even within Catholic context, we're still thinking about, did we do the right things? Um, and maybe the right thing is believing in Jesus. And, then, you know, that outweighs everything. Um But I think that we need to think of salvation. I think that the Bible thinks of salvation in terms of communion with God, Mm -hmm. right? God has no fellowship with darkness. There is no darkness in him. And to be saved is to enter into communion with God, um, to walk in the light as he is the light. Mm -hmm. Um, This
0: is all out of 1 John 1, by the way. So if you like what he's saying, if if you're picking up what he's laying down... uh, Go to First John chapter.
1: 1. If you're wildly confused, go to First John chapter one. It's beautiful. Um, also, I wanted to to say something that uh, occurred to me as you were talking about a five mm. one right. Be imitators of God as mm. beloved children. And this is what kids do. They imitate their parents. And that's mm. how they learn to be human. You know, uh, God have mercy on my kids. Right, um, and walk in love as Christ loved us. So we're imitating God and we're imitating Christ because Christ is God, but Christ is also God and man, right? And so because of the incarnation, we can imitate God mm. um, by giving ourselves to the way that Christ walked, which was by loving us and giving himself up for us. Mm-hmm. Right, you want to imitate mm-hmm. God? All right. Uh, this is the temptation in Genesis 3, right? Make yourselves like God. Well, if You want to be like God, Uh, conform to the cross, right? Mm -hmm. Because that is Mm -hmm. who God is. He's God is love. And uh, so again, this is possible in a radically new way through the incarnation Mm -hmm. when Jesus became a son of David. And so the Psalter is allowing us to imitate David's relationship, to participate in David's relationship with God, to imitate David. Um, But it's ultimately the Psalter is actually the prayer book of Christ, right? Of the whole Christ of God who became the son of David, and therefore kind of inherited the Psalter, mm. and of the whole church, which is baptized into Christ mm-hmm. and praised the Psalter, imitating a man after God's own heart.
0: Yeah, that's right. That's right. Um, and walking in Christ's way, again, back to the third third sorrowful mystery, right? mm-hmm. to, know, to know that he is our king who as king suffered for us, uh, and then to imitate that ourselves right? um, by bearing each other's burdens uh, and giving ourselves completely to God and to others. Uh, that's right, and this is uh, this sort of feels like a big uh, metaphor, sort of more densely theological. Children of light, see this the light shine the light on the thing, and it will become light. And then you have to get the darkness out of it. Um, right? These are all ways of thinking about right denying ourselves so that we can give ourselves to Christ and to our neighbor and imitate Him. Um And we can come back in John chapter nine, we get a different sort of angle on light uh, here in the healing of a man born blind. Now it's, again, it's a long reading from John, um, and it, it can it can be broken up. Um, but the the whole story, um, again, uh, as we mentioned last week, shows us an image of somebody who goes from little to no faith, to the challenge of greater faith, who gets there in stages, and also we see um, uh, some uh, another group right uh, of the uh, uh, of the leaders in Jerusalem uh, and the Pharisees who continue to not get it
1: mm-hmm.
0: um, and continue to be given the testimony by this man about Jesus's healing uh, that they refuse to see, and uh, the whole story kind of turns on an image of. Somebody receiving physical sight, but even more deeply and more greatly, spiritual sight that's restored, right, gradually to him and the spiritual blindness of the Pharisees who claim that they can see. And and if you look at the last couple of verses in 940 and 41, that's the point that Jesus makes. Um, So the beginning of the story, the man just gets healed um, of his blindness and then gets called in to testify about who it was that that healed him he's in trouble they're trying to get jesus in big trouble so they don't want him to say that jesus healed a man born blind which is a bigger deal than just healing another blind guy um uh uh, for them is quite significant because this guy's never had the capability of seeing it's not like he was Mm He was able to see well, and then as he got older, he became blind, right, through whatever reason. Um, this man's never been able to see, and Jesus made it happen. And they tell him, give glory to God. We know that this man has to be a sinner, so he can't have done this miracle, and you must be a sinner too. And he doesn't have a fabulous amount of faith at the beginning to be like, oh, yes, he is the Son of God. He is the Son of Man, the Messiah, right? He's, he's not really doing that so much. Um, But as he keeps listening to them, Mm -hmm. he starts to actually give more faithful responses because their reaction to the miracle is so ridiculous, right? And they say, this guy can't can't have healed you because God doesn't listen to sinners. And we know he's a sinner. And he's like, he did heal me, so he must not be a sinner because God doesn't listen to sinners. And they're like, we don't even know where this guy's from. And he's like...
1: Who cares? He did what? it. Well, right. He's like, well,
0: he did it. Also, he's like, isn't that isn't that a problem for you, right? They That yeah. he healed a man born blind, and you don't know, it, you refuse to know anything about him?
1: In, in a sense, the, <laughs> the logic is inescapable. But for the Pharisees, this is an argument like reductio ad absurdum. They're like, this is an absurd conclusion. Therefore, the exact opposite has to be true. Yeah, right. right. Um, whereas for him, he's being painted into a corner gradually. And he didn't realize... The logic of it until they're developing it for him.
0: Yeah, that's seems. right. And 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 as he goes through uh, again, similar to Jesus' conversations with Nicodemus or the mm-hmm. woman at the well, you can see kind of right incremental stages, uh, and then uh, uh, this man right beautifully comes to spiritual sight, right, to be able to believe in Jesus. That when he comes out of here. After his inquisition in front of them, and after they're ready to throw him out of the synagogue, right, and say you're excommunicated, right, because you won't just say, Jesus Mm. didn't really do this, this is all fake. He comes out, and Jesus encounters him. Uh, And there in the last uh, few verses, Jesus heard, We're looking at verse 35, Um, the last few verses really bring a lot of this home uh, after the drama of the inquiry. Jesus heard they'd cast him out, and he found him and said, do you believe in the Son of Man? And he said, who is he that I might believe in him? He said, I'm ready to believe in the Son of Man, but I don't know where he is. Jesus said, I am. Mm -hmm. And uh, I I who am speaking to you. And uh, the man says, Lord, I believe. He's ready. He's open. Even though he's uh, 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 even though it's taken him a while, and even though he's uh sort of logically been led toward faith by all of these arguments, right? And how unsatisfying they are, right? And the sort of being backed painted into the corner, like you said. N- now, right, he has an encounter with Jesus with his eyes ready to see, mm-hmm. and he sees, right? He's been prepped by all of that, and now he says, I-, I believe. Jesus says, I came into the world for judgment that those who don't see may see. And those who see may become blind. And you might go like, "What? who is he trying to blind? Well, here's what he means. The Pharisees who were standing by say, wait a minute, are we blind? And he says, if you were blind, it wouldn't be a problem because I would be here to make you see. But you insist that you can see. You're not open to faith. Mm -hmm. You reject it. And so, in fact, you're blind. And me being here, right, just leads you to harden yourselves yeah. in your blindness.
1: Yeah, the the blind man's healing is the sign, well, there's many signs throughout John, which unequivocally point to Jesus and make you um, right, stumble at him. You either give yourself to him or stumble mm-hmm. on him. Um, and I want to call attention to... Um, Right, to the connection with First Samuel. Right, mm-hmm. This is seen as God sees. Mm-hmm. And there's a, a very specific pedagogical point uh, within this too. I mean, it, it's all centered on seeing Jesus and giving yourself to him, of course. right? Yeah. The, the identity of Jesus is what's going on here. But when they dismiss, when the Pharisees dismiss the blind man in verse 34, you were born in utter sin. And would you teach us? How do they know he's born in utter sin? Well, apparently because he was born blind right? Mm -hmm. As opposed to David who recognizes that we're all born in utter sin. Um, But this is the same way of thinking, the same way of seeing the world that the disciples had at the start of the story. Mm -hmm. Verse two, Mm -hmm. the disciples asked, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, uh, that he was born blind? And so the disciples too have to grow through this. Um, This is not the main point. uh, Seeing Jesus is the main point, but there's a temptation in us to look at suffering and Mm -hmm. to think this came from sin, Mm -hmm. right? Job scholar here, right? It's just everywhere. Um, There's a temptation to look at suffering and to see that as God's judgment and to infer that they must have done something to deserve this. And this is a very natural, intuitive, human way of thinking, right? Dad's mad. That's why I'm in trouble. Um, He's in trouble. God must be mad. But christ says that this man was born blind not because of anything he did not that he's sinless Right? he's a human Um, but when you look at someone who's born blind and you think therefore they sinned this is absurd this is seeing how men see Mm -hmm. and this is also part of what god has come to correct our way of seeing Mm um when in fact um it's precisely through this man's suffering, that he is going to be healed and point to Christ, that God is going to manifest his works. And again, I I feel like this drives us back towards the cross. Mm -hmm. Because when we saw him, we thought of him as stricken, uh, smitten by God, but through his stripes, we are healed. There's this paradigm shift in how you understand suffering Mm -hmm. and how you understand how God is working through suffering, right? It's not just punishment. It's not just a stick. But actually it's, um, you know, shepherding you along in paths of righteousness for his sake, right? As an imitator of Christ and who can also, um, right? When you correct one sheep, you're actually correcting the whole herd, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. So...
0: Yeah, that's right, um, and it's, and there are of course instances even in the New Testament, right, where there are there is a connection between right some amount of suffering and right a, a discipline or a rebuke for sin, um, but but this is a place where we're when we're looking at somebody else's suffering, mm-hmm. right, um, and sometimes even our own, right, we're we're in a dark valley, uh, and we need the Lord to direct us as to how we should act because we don't know all of the reasons behind all of the things here. Jesus says, this guy is born blind so that the works of God might be displayed in him. And you go, that was a long time for the guy to wait. And other people wrote him off as wicked or as born in utter sin as the Pharisees do here. Um, uh, And we want to avoid that and and approach all with mercy. And also remember that when we're in the dark valley and we're following this shepherd, our path also is to the cross and to accompany our brothers and sisters um, in prayer and bearing one another's burdens to fulfill the law of Christ, the law of our King mm-hmm. uh, as he's gone before us. To imitate him. That's right. To imitate him. So, Well, all right.
1: Well, I think that does it for us this week. Um, have a blessed Lent as you uh, try to see as God sees and as God sees you. Mm-hmm. Amen. Amen. This has been a Formed in the Word
0: podcast, a production of the Augustine Institute. For more inspiring and informative content like this, please visit formed.org.